Well, I want to welcome everyone to the, the Tactical Sciences podcast for this week. Uh, we're going to be talking to some of the representatives from the National Integrated Pest Management Coordinating Committee, and we'll talk about the, the uh, organizations that they represent uh, in, that, in that effort. My name is Marty Draper. I'm the Associate Dean for Research at Kansas State University and the project lead on this tactical sciences coordination, uh, network coordination project. So um, looking forward to actually talking with everybody today. So we're joined with by three guests today, uh, Anne Hazelrick from the University of Vermont, Jim Farrar from the University of California, and Darren Mueller from Iowa State University. I'd uh, love to hear from each of you just a little bit about what your roles are there uh, and what all do you do at, uh, at Vermont and uh, how does it extend into the integrated pest management realm? Well, I wear a lot of hats. I always call myself a, a jack of all trades and master of nothing, but uh, I'm the IPM coordinator for Vermont. That's one of my roles. And then I also oversee, I'm a plant pathologist. I oversee the plant diagnostic clinic. Uh, the Master Gardener Program, and the Pesticide um, Safety and Education Program uh, for the state. Uh, and I was uh, the chair of the NIPMCC uh, in 2019. So you do have your fingers in a lot of different uh, pots. I do. I, I feel like the cleanup crew sometimes. <laughs> So Jim, how about you in California? You've, uh, you've had a lot of different things that you've done in integrated pest management over the years, I think. Yes, um, I am the um, integrated pest management coordinator for California. I'm also the director of the University of California statewide integrated pest management program. Um, and inside of that program, we also have the pesticide safety education program like Ann mentioned, um, we also provide a home. We're the host institution for the Western IPM Center. Um, so we have several components in uh, IPM in California. So you coordinate pretty closely some of your activities with what goes on in the regional IPM Center then also. Yes, right. I think that speaks to some of what we see in the National IPM Coordinating Committee where the, the regional IPM centers as well as the state IPM programs are engaged together in developing some direction for IPM nationally. Yes, absolutely. So, so Darren, Iowa State and, and Integrated Pest Management there, what's it look like with your role there? So you, you sort of hit on it already with the with the other two, um, a, a man with a lot of different hats. I am the IPM coordinator here at Iowa State. I also managed to become one of the co-directors of the North Central IPM Center, uh, also a co-director of the Crop Protection Network. Uh, one of the one of the sort of outcomes or outputs that that's um, being done in IPM, and then in the spare time, I, I am a, a associate professor in plant pathology and have a grad students and all of that fun stuff. So you each come from different parts of the country and IPM means different things there as you look at the, the major cropping emphases that you might have and, 
And an IPM is stretched into other realms as well as you think about public housing and, and structural IPM. And some of that may have a bigger influence in, in some of your regions than others. But um, Ian, I'm guessing that maybe in the Northeast, you're dealing with a little bit different uh, cropping systems than what Darren or Jim might deal with. Right. Well, we're still a dairy state. So uh, in our IPM program, uh, we have uh, an agronomy portion to, to address the uh, IPM issues in, in field and forages. But uh, increasingly, more of our crops are horticultural or specialty crops. So we've um, sort of divided up our IPM uh, program into uh, fruit crops, uh, nursery and greenhouse. Um, we also uh, spend uh, a lot of effort in communities uh, with our master gardener program to address IPM issues for home gardeners. Uh, and we are lately we've uh, done some IPM work with pollinators, pesticide education, and uh, in the plant diagnostic clinic. I, I think that's kind of an overarching resource for the IPM program in Vermont. Uh, so we've really spread it out, our program out to address our major crops and then audiences, both commercial and home garden aud audiences. And we really don't have a big um, uh, urban area, we're pretty small, so we don't, we have not addressed really any structural uh, IPM issues yet. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's pretty, it's pretty diverse when you think about having to be dealing with, let's say, feed for dairy, as well as fruits and vegetables, and, and you're doing the diagnostics, as well as providing, I assume, recommendations for for producers and homeowners on how to manage their problems. Right, exactly. But we have good uh, project leaders. You know, this is not all me. It's uh, we've got really good project leaders in all those different uh, priority areas. So we're a really good team of um, probably four uh, co-PIs um, and then a lot of technicians and, and admin help too. That's pretty interesting how you put things together there. Darren, you've got maybe a little bit little bit narrower focus in Iowa. I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, corn and soybeans dominate Iowa, but that doesn't mean that minor sectors aren't important. Yeah, I, I would say that um, if you look at the our efforts, the lion's share is definitely corn soybean, uh, just because I think the last estimate I saw is about 65% of Iowa's land is covered with corn and soybean each year. So just by sheer numbers, uh, then mass, we, we, we do focus a lot on that. But like Ann mentioned, I think that we also put our eggs in other baskets. We have the uh, diagnostic clinic is also part of our IAPM program. We have a component that we're really looking at the next generation. There's a lot of people in Iowa that are trying to look a little bit further out um, and well, nationally too, but just sort of seeing a, a lack of people going into agriculture and, and into some of these IPM disciplines. And so we have a youth component as, as part of our IPM program. Um, and then uh, really the, we also do have a lot of stuff on the commercials or on the home hort uh, side of things. And so con consumers and um, you know, that is sort of as, as needed. 
probably like this last year, I get was probably examples are easier for, for us in, in Iowa this last year, we had a, a derecho. Most of us had to look that up and, and to know the definition of it. But, um, you know, that went through, I think it hit 27 counties and, and it wiped out millions and millions of trees. And so uh, a lot of our efforts right now are going to be on tree health, the ones that survived it, but then also a lot of trees are getting removed and, and are being planted. And so tree health for the newly planted trees. And so entire communities, parks, uh, sort of, it, it, it was sort of, it hit, it hit everything. And so uh, that's sort of a, a big effort for us right now is just recognizing that, hey, that's not corn soybean. Although although the corn and soybean also didn't look that good in in those counties. But um, yeah, we, we, you know, so right now we have a big effort on trees. So. So tell me a little bit more about the youth programs. So you are trying to, to educate youth about integrated pest management. And tell me a little bit more about how that might be different. Uh, integrated pest management might, might be different from um, whatever else they might think is the norm. Um, we, we have a couple of different uh, areas. One is that we're trying to tie IPM sciences or and some of the IPM activities into uh, the actual school curricula. And so that, that, that has been part of it and just making it a little bit part of more formal, um, education programs, after school programs. And then we, but then we also have, we are starting up some competitions. So we have one that's called crop scouting competition where we're bringing in, uh, we're working with people that will pull teams together of, of high school kids and they'll come in and do competitions and, that started about oh, eight, nine years ago, and it's now expanded into uh, six, seven different states. And we're trying to continue to build up an interest and in getting people just to almost just realize that those disciplines are there is the big thing. That's a, that's a pretty cool twist to, to help people understand earlier in life that there's there's more more options in managing pests than just whipping out the sprayer. Yep. Um, so, Jim, you live in probably the most the state with the most diverse agriculture in the entire country. So what kind of scope does your program have out there? You, you've got to cover everything from from soup to nuts, literally yeah. nuts and I, yeah. I, I'm, everything that goes into the soup. Literally nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have a large number of specialty crops in California. Um, if you take into account all the nursery and greenhouse crops, there's something like 300 um, different crops. Um, in the IPM program, we have pest management guidelines um, for the larger agricultural crops. Um, and we have 47 of those. So, um, you know, pretty diverse. Um, and in California, especially crops are huge. Um, we have 1.3 million acres of almonds, um, which is just, you know, um, the scale is enormous. And then, you know, almost as much in um, grapes, which is divided into wine grapes, table grapes, grapes for raisins. Um, so, you know, a lot of um, effort goes into those because, um, as a large and diverse, especially crops state, we can't really um, use IPM information from other states because 
nobody else is doing almonds. Um, nobody else is doing raisins, really. Um, so, and then the other piece um, in California is we have almost 40 million um, residents in California. So the urban and community needs are enormous. Um, we do a lot of work with um, licensed structural pest control managers. Um, and we try to work, um, as Ann and Darren have mentioned, we try to work through master gardeners um, as a multiplier tool to reach residents in California. Um, and recently we've been experimenting with um, working with uh, a, a similar group called master food preservers um, in extending information about pantry pests um, through the master food preservers program. Um, the other piece in California that's enormous and, and takes continual revision and research um, into IPM programs is we're dealing with a lot of invasive pests um, because of our specialty crop agriculture, because of our um, climate, um, because of the vast amount of shipping trade that comes through California. Um, we get a lot of invasive pests and we've got to figure out how to once they become established, um, integrate them into our um, pest management programs. You know, so when we think about um, tactical sciences, we often often refer to it as as the application of of research. I, I'm curious, Darren, when you look at your program and you think about uh, the the research findings that are constantly changing. How do you work with those researchers to apply that information and, and, and get new recommendations out to out to people? I, I think that um, we take a couple of different approaches. One is is that we have we have our extension system in place. And so the I think we, that's we, a really important thing to recognize. You, you're all <laughs> universities, you're all working within extension. You're a piece of that extension machine that right. is distributing information out to your counties and you're doing things independently, but you're all integrated into one thing. Another way that we've got integrated pest management information. That's right, integrated communication management, I'd say. But um, yeah, so we, we, we try to sort of, um, you know, the our, our communications teams within the university have gaps and our researchers have gaps while they're doing a lot of great stuff. Uh, you know they're not hired to be communicating and so what one of the approaches that we take on here at iowa state within our ipm program is to sort of look for those gaps and try to fill those in and making sure that the researchers have the the resources in place to produce the best videos that will then be used to uh, train the next pesticide safety uh, be part of the next pesticide safety training or the master gardener training or you know, whatever it would be. So um, my IPM program, we actually, I, I, people sort of joke, I, I, I collect communication specialists. Um, I, I think we have five of them now on with that are somehow associated with the IPM program because uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest needs that we have in Iowa is, is helping researchers, you know, communicate that stuff to uh, Iowans. Isn't, isn't that the truth? It's we can generate all kinds of knowledge through research and discovery, but if, until we communicate it, um, it doesn't become socialized and we're not able to actually see people use that to have it implemented in, in our society. So 
Uh, I think that's an admirable, admirable trait to be able to bring in that many communicators to try and get that information out there. I think that's probably a weak point in, you know, the UVM system is we're all so busy trying to do the uh, extension work, but, um, and we get it out to our own audiences, but we don't tell our story. Uh, bigger picture, I think in the state. So I think we, we always need better communicators because that's kind of the last thing that happens in a grant or in extension work, it seems like to me. Yeah, it's kind of been my experience that there, there can be a disconnect between the research community and the extension community. And, and that becomes a challenge, making sure you can stay connected and, and be current on what your colleagues have discovered to determine how it can be applied. Jim, I'm curious with the diversity you've got out, out west, um, where's, the, where's, your, where are the, where's the emphasis in your programming? Are there um, serious, significant pests that you deal with every year? And do you have emerging pests that you're trying to, uh, trying to uh, address as well? Yeah, but we have a more than 40 year history working on agricultural pests. So that's been our um, big emphasis for many decades. Um, we've been working in urban and community IPM for about 15 years and that area continues to grow. Um, we have a very small um, uh, component that is um, natural areas IPM, which is mainly um, rangeland and forest, um, but, but that, that component is, is pretty small. Um, sorry, I forgot the second part of your question. Uh, about emerging, <laughs> emer but emerging pests. I have emerging no pests. California got hit hard when, when sudden oak death popped up several uh, years ago. And yeah. I think you probably have issues like that that, that occur periodically. Yes, uh, sudden oak death um, popped up and wiped out huge numbers of oaks in the uh, um, northern coastal area of the state. Um, we've got spotted wing drosophila, brown marmorated stink bug. Um, we've got a recent invasion of um, South American palm weevil into the palms in the San Diego area, which is um, causing a lot of concern. Um, if you can imagine um, Southern California without palms, um, that uh, that's sort of the, um, the very uh, you know far end of the spectrum of what could happen because um, so, uh, so what does a palm weevil do to a palm palm weevils um the females lay the eggs in the crown of the palm and the larvae eat the um, young developing um, leaf primordia and eventually destroy the apical meristem of the palm and the palm tree only has one apical meristem up at the very top. Um, so if you get enough um, larvae eating enough of the um, crown of the um, palm tree, that'll it'll die. And then you have this big um, pole looking thing uh, that needs to be taken down. Um, so the other, the other piece of that that is causing some concern in agricultural circles in Southern California is we have a very large um, date industry in the Southern California desert area. And um, there's a mountain range between where the 
South American palm weevil is currently and where date production is. But if the weevils um, make it over that uh, mountain area, um, there's there's concern for the date industry in California. Yeah, I think the you know citrus psyllid is probably another thing you've been been dealing with and hoping that it doesn't spread too far into the citrus production area. It's uh, yes. There's, yes, you have no shortage of pests out there. We do not have a shortage of pests. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think when, when we look at, at coastal states that have a lot of uh, a lot of ports, we often see bigger issues with with new pests coming in, and then they find their way across the country. So Florida, New York, Texas, California, uh, often have some of those some of those first outbreaks, but they find their way into the interior as well, and. And Anne, I know the Northeast has dealt with some, some emerging pests over the years. Uh, um, you know, Jim mentioned brown marmorated stink bug. I think that started in the Eastern part of the country, didn't it? Right, but we, we they're still showing up in Vermont more as uh, fall home invaders. We're not really seeing a lot of crop damage yet from brown marmor marmorated stink bug. But uh, spotted wing drosophila has certainly been a huge issue for our small fruit growers. Um, we have an onion leek moth that's uh, presented a problem uh, in our onion crops and a, um, a swede midge in brassica crops. We're watching <laughs> all of our borders for a lot of different things. There's an allium leaf miner working its way up from New York State and oak wilt was not too far away in New York state. And we're concerned about beech leaf disease. And um, yeah, there's, there's always something. You've got, you've got, you've got hemlock woolly adelgid too, right? Right, hemlock woolly adelgid. I just, I just like saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's no shortage of, of new, new things coming down the pipe. So, so Darren, you're sitting there in the middle of the country. You're protected. There must not be anything new there. Yeah, nothing, nothing at all. So, well, the, the, the advantage is, I think you're right. The advantage is it usually starts on the coast. So we get to see, we, you know, they get to learn how to manage it. And so by the time it gets to Iowa, sometimes they have some answers or at least some guidance. But every once in a while, we'll get one that pops up in the Midwest, and then we try to share it with the others. So, you know, we, this last couple of years we've had, uh, soybean gall midge that, that came sort of out of nowhere and then uh, tar spot on corn. So I'm giving more examples in, in the corn soybean world again, but, um, and we certainly have had spotted wing and, and some of those issues, you know, they're, they're affecting the, the fruit growers here in Iowa and in the Midwest as well. So. I suppose a little more than a decade ago, the soybean aphid was an introduction and that showed up in like Illinois first or something like that, right? Yeah. Illinois, so, Iowa, yeah, 2001, I think. So you don't, you don't, sometimes you don't get as much lead time as if it comes from California. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So each of you work within your region and you've got regional groups that you talk to and that helps you understand um, what might be coming and how, how your, your, your neighbors are dealing with some of the problems. Um, you also have some coordination then through this national IPM coordinating committee. So I'm kind of curious, um, what kinds of things do you bring to that committee and how do you try and uh, try and set some ideas to, to move forward nationally? Um, I'd open that up to anybody that wants to take a shot at it. Jim, I think you're coming in as the next chair, right? 
Yeah, I'm the current chair. Um, Darren's the incoming chair starting in October. Um, so I, I think there's a couple parts to that um, question. One is, you know, we, although the specifics of IPM in our individual states are different, I think there's a lot of commonalities in some of the big issues. And National IPM Coordinating Committee just um, finished up writing three white papers um, about some of those topics. Um, one of them focuses on invasive um, and exotic pests. Another is on um, pest resistance. Um, and then the third is sort of an overview of IPM and um, how IPM um, can be, um, can, can answer questions and, and, and um, um, provide practical solutions to pest problems. Um, so we've, we've coordinated at that level. I think the other piece of that that we probably haven't done as well is because National IPM Coordinating Committee is a subcommittee um, of the American um, Public Land Grant Universities, um, that there is opportunity for raising the um, profile of IPM through the um, legislative and policy process that APLU um, engages in in um, DC. Um, and I think we're just sort of taking our first steps in, in learning how to work within that system and to promote IPM nationally. And I think within that committee, you've got representation coming from the extension directors as well as the experiment station directors. So. So you've got that research extension um, um, exposure coming at a higher level to uh, uh, to those representatives who are hopefully then sharing it with the other directors from across the country. So. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We're we're sort of a hybrid um, between the um, extension directors and the experiment station directors, although we're officially placed because you have to be placed somewhere. We're officially placed with the um, experiment station. And I think it's one of those interesting things because it's, you know, where does the, where does research and extension, where does research end and extension start? And I've often described them as a continuum where you've got a substantial overlap in the middle where we're you know, much like we've dealt with with COVID, uh, we're learning as we go and, and everything is changing every day. You, you learn new information and you have to figure out how to get that communicated well. So uh, we all have some pretty serious challenges. Um, Mar Marty, can, can I circle back to that communication sure. idea? Um, so, you know, we have a lot of communicators in, in the UC IPM program. Um, and we're finding um, that people don't want to receive information the same way they did um, years ago, which is for us rather text heavy and lots of description of the past and the past biology. Um, so we're actually um, learning and transitioning to much more um, video-based webinar, asynchronous online courses, um, that kind of um, presentation of information. Um, we still have our foundation in the traditional extension um, publications, um, but we're finding a lot more traction for 
um, those newer kinds of presentations of information. I think I that's, think that's one good thing that uh, COVID has done for a lot of our programs is it's sort of forced us to go into the virtual, more of the virtual realm. And so I think that's been a really positive thing uh, from COVID is we've had to sort of reinvent ourselves so we could present the information um, virtually. So that's, that's caused all of us to scramble a little bit, but I think we're better for it. Yeah, I think that's, that's really a, a great point. Um, when we start looking at, um, at the uh, differences across our generations and we're dealing with digital natives coming in now and in the way we have to get the message out just is completely different than it was when you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when, when I started involved in my involvement with Extension. And so uh, it's, it's great that you're recognizing that there's ways that you can reach those audiences. And I would say I'll hop in. I think that that's probably one of the roles that we play in uh, on this national IPM effort is that all of us have uh, consumers of, of the information that that want it in a little bit different ways. And you know, so in Iowa, you know, the one of our the, the main requests that we get is that farmers all have auto steer, auto everything tractors, and they they want eight minute or what is it? Less than two minute clips, video clips, because that's what how long it takes to get from one end of the field to the other. Or, you know, so it's it's dictated off of that. And so, um, you know, we we have uh, that definitely have a, a lots of different. Um, we we switched to you know we we've gone from a lot of different virtual. I I had my first uh, planning session for or for starting up TikTok uh, accounts, which frightened me uh you know it's definitely an area that i'm not going to be comfortable in but you know at some point marty you're right i think you know the next as these people become native you know are native users of these things you know like it's it's going to be it's, it's it is what it is you know it's like so i think that that's an important message that we can bring to the national level i think that making sure that they're engaged with the communication needs we still need to do some of the ones that that are you know the people that want the text heavy information, those those needs aren't going away. They're just not as important, uh, but we definitely want, need to be reaching new audiences for, for people to hear about what we do. Certainly certainly adds to the challenges. I, I, I think if you're talking, Darren, about the TikTok uh, presentation, and I'm guessing an IPM TikTok dance would look something like these doing their, their whole uh, pollination thing. Um, so that makes me think. So pollinator health has been an emphasis for, for, for some time now. And I'm, I'm curious if, if your programs or if programs around the country that you're aware of are focusing on pollinator health. I can hop in first. In, in Iowa, yeah, definitely yes. Uh, I, and I think that we've had a couple of very strong researchers that have taken the lead on uh, improving uh, field edges and 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 sort of the habitat uh, around fields and 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 roadways, um, you know. And, and for us at Iowa State, we have a the president of our of our university is very passionate about pollinators, Dr. Winnie Winterstein. And so she's you know she as a, she was an IPM coordinator and she sort of moved her way up. And and so just I mean if if I could move my computer and look out the window, there's 
we started a pollinator garden here on campus and we tore down an old building and and right outside my office and we have a uh, some some pollinator friendly areas going in on campus and so uh, yeah so researchers are are definitely um, this is something that's sort of near and dear uh, at, at Iowa and, and as an IPM coordinator uh, we're in constant contact with them to make sure uh, we're, we're working closely with them so Jim I think you're dealing with some unique things with pollinators in, in California when you think about the the quality of the of the nutritiousness of some of the food sources that that uh, bees might be encountering and finding diversity in what they might be able to, to reach too. Yeah, we have a lot of, we have a, we have a big effort on um, pollinators um, for a couple reasons. One is um, almonds um, are bee pollinated. And so the biggest pollination event in the world is all the beehives coming to California uh, for almond bloom in uh, February and early March. Um, and then a lot of our other crops also need um, pollinators in order to set fruit. Um, one of the challenges in California, especially now going into another drought year, is um, we don't have a lot of um, pollinator resources um, in field edges or in natural areas um, for much of the year because of the lack of rain, um, because of the lack of water. Um, so that presents a real challenge for um, maintaining pollinator health. Um, I'll, I'll say, um, you know, there, because of the importance of pollinators um, to crops in California, um, we provide a lot of information about the impact of pesticides on pollinators and um, how to mitigate that, how to you know, not spray when pollinators are active, choose um, products that are less toxic to pollinators. Um, and the state um, recognizes the importance of pollinators and they have a, a registry through the county ag directors, county ag commissioners, sorry, um, where um, hive owners are supposed to register the location of their hives. And then if there's going to be um, a pesticide application within a certain radius of those hives, the, the um, beekeeper will get a notification. So there are a lot of pieces that go together to try to protect pollinators in California. You know, I think it's not about pollinators, but I think one of the neatest things I ever saw in, in integrated pest management was uh, in strawberry production in California and planting sweet alyssum in, in those plots periodically in, 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 a, in a block pattern because it suppressed some insect pest. I think it may have been thrips, I don't remember, but uh, you know, there's some cool stuff that comes out of integrated pest management. It's not just about pesticides, it's about timing and options. And, and I think you described beautifully, Jim, how we can, we can work around known problems as we understand the biology of the organisms that we're working with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this sweet alyssum is a um, resource for hoverflies and hoverflies um, go after aphids. Um, so yes, people That's are- That's what it was. It wasn't trips, it was aphids. <laughs> yeah. There we go. So Anne, I'm guessing that the that, uh, 
pollinator management, pollinator health looks different in Vermont than what you've heard described in the other two states. Um, your agriculture looks different. The way that uh, that pollinators are used in in um, Vermont is a little different than what you might see in the other states. Yeah, uh, our fruit growers and blueberry, you know, apple growers and blueberry growers are probably our biggest. Uh, use of pollinators, I would think. But each one of our uh, priority areas in our IPM uh, project, it has incorporated some sort of pollinator health component. Uh, master gardeners are gonna really put in an effort on um, bee habitat and trying to get the message out. They do so much tabling and so much uh, consumer education that they're at farmers markets and um, county fairs and things like that. So they're, um, really going to put, put out a lot of information. But each one of our uh, uh, priority areas is doing some work with pollinator health. Well, you know, you've, you've all described some really diverse things that go on in your states and in your part, part of the country. And I think it speaks to the way integrated pest management fits into agricultural systems, urban, urban gardening systems, um, and, and many other many other aspects of our culture today. Um, curious if you'd each like to say a few things about uh, about your state programs and how state programs work uh, to make sure that we uh, reach the the goals of integrated pest management. If you want to touch on that a little bit too, I, that'd be great. Whoever wants to take a shot first. Well, I'll just say for Vermont, you know, we, we have our fingers in a little bit of everything in the state because we're a small state um, and we sort of leave it up to each project director to come up with the best ways or what's the uh, best or, you know, sort of the low hanging fruit. What do they need to address in each one of these priority areas to make the biggest impact uh, for IPM tactics and uh, one of our other problems that we sort of struggle with is that we're really good at, you know, getting this information out there and getting the science uh, out there, but um, measuring those impacts is always a little tough, I think, uh, to really see how we've changed behavior. Inherently, we know we have, but trying to capture that is always a little bit difficult for us. So we struggle with that. And one of the positives for me when I attend the NIPM CC meetings is to hear how other states are assessing impacts in their programs. So I find that very helpful um, because we're always trying to, uh, I, I'd rather not reinvent the wheel, but uh, it's great to hear what other people do and we can try to adopt some of those practices. Now, we would love to have changes happen quickly, but ultimately it takes time, doesn't it? before we get good adoption. And you know, I, IPM is about implementing new tactics to um, manage pests through very varied means. And um, sometimes it's hard to turn that boat when uh, you're telling people they need to move to, uh, to a, a 15 inch row spacing for their crop and yet they only have equipment to plant 30 inch row spacing. So. Uh, it can cost it can cost some money to implement some of those changes. Um, Jim, what about what about California and the western western U.S.? You know, your adjacent states are pretty different from from California. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, well north to south California is pretty different. <laughs> north to south California is enormously different. Even coastal to the interior is very different. Um, you know, what, one of the things that I think is really helpful for the California IPM program is we have um, cooperative extension advisors stationed in the counties um, that are specifically IPM advisors. Now, there's only like seven of them scattered around the state, but they, they really are in direct contact with um, clientele. Um, so they're, they're seeing on the ground what the problems are and doing that needs assessment that lets us know um, what are the big problems that we need to be addressing. Um, and then that comes up to the um, statewide program level um, and we, you know, work together um, from the county level extension up to um, the, the university, you know, faculty research um, to try to coordinate um, getting those problems addressed and getting practical solutions. Um, so I, I think that that's one of the strengths of our program is, you know, having those um, individuals down at the, I shouldn't say down, at, at the, located at the um, county level um, to really hear what's going on on the ground. I think that really points out an important piece. You can't be responsive unless you know what you need to be responding to and having boots on the ground makes such a big difference in, in uh, being able to address problems as soon as you, you can after recognizing that they're, that they're out there. So Darren, in the middle of the country, a little different maybe? I, you know, I'd say in general, what they said is pretty spot on with Iowa. I would say how I run or how we run the IPM program in Iowa is a little bit of a balancing act is the best way to describe it. Um, you know, we, we sometimes are playing whack-a-mole with the, the most recent, here's the problem that needs to be addressed right away. And then we're trying to balance that with, okay, what's going to be our needs five to 10 years out? And making sure that we have pieces in place to be able to address those types of things. And so, and then there's also a balancing act while, while we're writing our, our grant or proposals to get funding, you know, sometimes, you know, infrastructure isn't necessarily an over, overly attractive thing to be, to get money in. So we have to come up with projects that we actually run ourselves as, as an IPM core versus being a, the infrastructure for the researchers and all of the other people that are doing IPM work. And so, um, you know, some of the stuff that we do is that we, we, we probably spend a little, a little bit too much time or an inordinate amount of time on multi-state research or multi-state extension projects. Um, sort of realizing that, Hey, we might not have, uh, you know, a full slate of specialists doing all the work in Iowa, but you know what? We might need to look look across the state line at Nebraska or Illinois or Minnesota, Missouri, and see what they're doing. And so, uh, really strengthening our multi-state ties is is something that sort of a long-term strategy that we have. Uh, I mentioned the youth earlier; that's another long-term strategy, uh, and, and building up that that recognition. Um, and then and then the rest of it's probably just what needs to be done right now and and, and helping helping people out make decisions um, during the season or coming up in, into the season this year so 
I think that collaborative nature that you talk about, all of you have referred to it. it uh, it's an important thing for us to be able to to uh, to apply. We we know more together than we know individually. So um, I'm kind of curious, uh, thinking a little bit about integrated pest management and some of the more um, current or recent areas of interest in, in agriculture. And we hear a lot about organic agriculture. We hear a lot about sustainable agriculture. And when I think about the foundations of integrated pest management, it seems to me that neither organic nor sustainable agricultural approaches would be possible without applying the principles of integrated pest management. Does that, does that resonate? Am I right or am I way off base? I think that's totally right. And I know there's been a debate whether where with some groups thinking organic and IPM are two different, totally different things that you don't use IPM. But I think ultimately IPM is what you use. And then if you do have to use a chemical control at the very end, you choose either organic or conventional. But I, I think IPM is woven through all these systems. I think it's the overarching uh, approach in my mind. Yeah, I absolutely agree that uh, whether it's conventional agriculture or organic agriculture, whether you're on the uh, more sort of regenerative, sustainable end of the spectrum or not, um, that IPM is the um, set of principles and practices for managing pests. Um, and I think <clears throat> that's that's illustrated by the fact that it's also applicable to urban pest situations. Um, so, you know, it's taken completely out of the agricultural context and um, implemented in an urban setting. Um, so yeah, I completely agree that uh, IPM applies in um, all aspects of agriculture. I think Jim mentioned something earlier about, you know, I, one of the things that IPM does is it, it emphasizes knowing the biology behind some of the decisions. And I think that that's probably why we all have an answer like, hey, everybody uses IPM because one of the core foundations that, that IPM stands on is understanding that biology. And so, um, and that's valuable for farmers in Iowa or or Vermont or California, wherever you're at, because, you know, ultimately, however we decide to manage a pest or a series of, or, a, a, you know, portfolio of pests in, in a particular field is works one way and it's, it's going fine. And then, and then we add an invasive and we change something up or Marty, you mentioned earlier, like you, you switch from 30 inch rows to 15 inch rows. Well, that's all the weed scientists in Iowa want you to, to do that because you're managing weeds in, in sort of an IPM way. And then all of the grandpas that are grandmas that are or that remember white mold back in the 80s and 90s say, no, 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 don't go to 15 inch rows. We're gonna have we're gonna have a you know huge outbreak of white mold. And they sort of are can still remember the pain of that. And so we see, you know, whatever we do, we, we make something better or worse. And IPM is understanding the biology behind why things are better or worse. And so it sort of helps troubleshoot and be able to shift things in, in one direction or another. So it's, it's being in concert with nature, I guess. Uh, I think that's a good thing for us as we go forward. 
Well, I think we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. I want to thank our guests today, Jim Farrar from the University of California, Darren Mueller from Iowa State University, and Ann Hazelrig from the University of Vermont, all coordinators in, in statewide integrated pest management programs and, and uh, involved with the National Integrated Pest Management Coordinating Committee. Really appreciate the insights that you've shared with us today as we think about how Integrated pest management plays into our tactical sciences, our way of applying what we've learned through research and uh, uh, dealing with problems that, uh, that we all can, uh, can benefit from the, the strengths of the land-grant university system, as well as these principles through integrated pest management. So thank you all for being with us today. I really appreciate your, uh, your time that you took to, to be here and to chat with us. Thank you. Invite. Thanks for having us on.